welcome to episode 36 in total of the Talking Toro podcast. I'm here as always with my co-host Peter Bourne and Torino have recorded another victory after a, a spell of um, poor form with the, the draw against Cremonese and the defeat in the derby against Juventus. It wasn't pretty Peter but a 1-0 victory over Bologna and your new court hero is cementing that court hero status that he, he might be uh, might be a few people's favourite player, Jan Caramo. Called it early, didn't I, on Jan Caramo? First member of his fan club. Uh, in the second half of this podcast, we're going to do the best the best Toro players of the 21st century. And I think let's wait another few weeks. Jan Caramo might be making an appearance. But no, it was good. It was a... Um, we needed that. I wouldn't say it was an easy victory because when you win 1-0, you're always at threat of uh, a sucker punch. Um, but we just kind of needed a regulation victory, I call them. Um, the sort of one you should have seven or eight times at home in a season. Um, got a new stat for you. quite like Bologna. Uh, so last week's pod was all about the derby and our awful record against Juventus. And I sat there during the... Um, Bologna match and I wonder do any other teams have such a bad record against Juventus you know because it could be it could it might not just be us I thought I look at Bologna's record just yeah for example last 43 matches against Juventus they've won one (laughs) drawn six won one the last 56 matches against Juventus they have two wins and they've played Juventus every season since 1996 because they went that they were in Serie B together for that season as well. They went down and I think they went up. So Bologna make our derby record look almost look good, and they certainly made us look pretty good on on Monday evening. Yeah, I think it was a um, very good first half, high press, um, good energy, better link up play between the four players. Our wing backs were pushed up much higher. Lunetti and Illich in midfield looked to have a pretty good understanding and were proactive uh, rather than reactive. Um, Bologna turned up. To me, they looked like they'd had a night out on Sunday evening. And uh, yeah, for a team on such a good run that I found their kind of attitude, their approach to the game very strange. I thought they'd be, I thought they'd be a lot more proactive than they were, but they... They, it's almost like they came they came to shut it down nil nil until half time and then uh would maybe look to hit on the counter attack in the second half. But yeah, just it was one of those they got into a lethargy that they really struggled to snap out of. And I think it was only Torino uh losing a bit of energy in the last twenty minutes that started to make Bologna I think, look um, a bit more of a better side. I think with the what we what I've noticed in games which we've sort of effectively been almost head to heads in in the sides that maybe looking to to finish in the top half uh, also felt it with Udinese like I wasn't as impressed I thought they would be better than they were and I think it's probably similar with Bologna I think that really shows that it's going to be a really missed opportunity if we don't manage to at least finish eighth I think eighth is is what our goal should be I think if you look at the teams who we're fighting for that with Bologna and Udinese have been have been somewhat disappointing. Mons are, are, are making maybe a late run. I think, yeah, I, I, I think there are a lot. There's a quite a clear. If you look at the the league as a whole, you've got 
Napoli who are sort of running away with it. And then the rest of the sides in the sort of top four and five are quite similar. Then you've got a little bit of a gap with six or seven teams who are, again, not great, but not terrible. And then you've got the really terrible teams at the bottom. Um, so I think that the, you could almost say there's like a four mini mini leagues in this uh in the Serie A league table and Torino are sort of fighting to be sort of the, the best of the rest, so to speak. Eighth has got to be at our, our aim. I think I don't think we'll catch Juventus. Um, I think the only team below us who on paper, um, in terms of budget, should be higher than us, maybe Fiorentina, but I think they've got plenty of distractions in the coming weeks. It'll be hard for them to play the Thursday, Sunday, and then, then you throw in the Coppa Italia. So we should be looking at eighth. We're a better team than Bologna and Udinese. Monza, not sure how much, how deep their squad is and how much they, they believe in it either. And yeah, I just, I don't think it's a great league. I think there's, as much as we love Italian football, taking Napoli aside, I think Atalanta and Lazio sometimes play some really good stuff. Um, uh, I watched the Roma-Juventus game Sunday night and Roma are, Pretty hard to break down. Pretty solid. Your mate Belotti came on and uh, played like like a right wing back almost. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think you'll look back at this era in Italian football if you know if there's come a time where there's a lot more fresh investment comes in and the and the traditionally biggest clubs, um, you know, get get back to where they were in the kind of early noughties, late nineties, then you might look back at this era and think it's a bit of a missed opportunity for a lot of clubs and Torino themselves just do not make sometimes that extra investment. But, but yeah, talk, talk, talk about a Bologna game, Jan Caramo. Uh, he was, what I like about him as well, he plays with a smile on his face, which I think uh, when you're in mid table, uh, sometimes you need a few characters like that who look like they're happy to be there. And, the goal he scored, I'm not sure. I can think of too many other Torino players who would have scored a goal like that. I think I'm not sure how much was luck, uh, you, uh, um, but there's obviously a lot he, of skill and balance in it, and there was obviously elements of luck in the way Bologna defended. Yeah, I think he said himself that he wasn't quite sure how he scored, uh, and obviously, if you look at the opportunity, it, like you, you almost had to see the replay to work out how on earth he managed to sort of dig a shot out there. I think the words you hit the nail on the head with there is balance. I think Caramo, we've mentioned on this podcast before, is incredibly quick and one of the quickest players that, that Torino have had in a, in a good few years. But his balance is is something else, really. It's it's that ability to sort of change direction at, at very short notice, which can sort of trouble defenders. And I think that the goal is a perfect example of that, that obviously three or four defenders around him He's gone one way, gone the other. Because uh, I mean, he's—I would say he's a good dribbler, but I wouldn't say he's sort of an insane dribbler. I think it's almost that balance in his ability to move at very short notice and stay sort of on his feet and and sort of composed is is one of his biggest attributes. And yeah, again, we've said it before, but it's it's been one of the revelations of this season. I think I'm, I might have mentioned on last week's episode that. He'll be in the reckoning for player of the season and might not win it. Well, I might have spoken too soon because if he has a um, he has a good to end to the season, bear in mind where the expectations were when he arrived. As to now, I think everybody's sort of been converted and 
like I say, it's not just his end product. He's I mean, he scored in the derby, he scored winning goals against Udinese and Bologna now. Like, he's really showing himself to be a, a key player of this team and, and has earned his points where I think some of the criticisms of, of Vasic has been that he's not clinical enough. Whereas, and but has the work rate, rate. But I was I was really impressed with how how hard Caramay was working for the team as well. I was often sort of tracking back and um, sort of winning the ball back for for the team. So yeah, I think I think once Vlasic is fit, it probably gives us a a decision to make because uh, I I just wanted to mention about how I think in the last two games I think Sanabria has really come back into a little bit of form. I thought he was really good against uh, Bologna. Obviously scored in the derby as well. Um, and yeah, I think we're a different side when he looks sharp, not just in, in terms of finishing, but also his hold-up play, which I, I thought was, was really, really good at, on uh, Monday night. Sanabria needs, as I said last week, he needs bodies around him. And then I think the understanding with Karamo is looking good. Moranchuk, again, he seemed to doze off for a lot of <laughs> Monday night. He seemed to be, when he's in the game, he could be quite influential, but he can be quite frustrating. It was almost that, that shot he had in the first half where he, for some reason, you, you he went the, the, near, the near post. The pass, <laughs> where he, yeah, but it's almost like, yeah, whether he was just trying to be a bit too clever and put a disguise on the finish. But um, but yeah, no, Sanabria done, has done really well. I think those are his, I've often joked before, he loves playing against Rossa Blue sides at home. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's like If you give him a Cagliari, Genoa and um, Bologna home games, he's pretty happy. But um, no, it's encouraging. I think, Got to be a bit careful with Caramel that this is not just a great six weeks and there's going to be dips in form. And, he, but... and, and that's a, an important part to raise because actually I, I was in the impression that he was on loan, but he, he he's not. He's on a one-year contract, which has got an option for two years. So, I mean, I'm not saying this is what's happening, but yeah, he has got a reason to perform well. It's similarly like a, a, what's a loan player is probably going to go back, would go back to their parent club at the end of that year. Like, obviously, if, if things didn't work out for Karamo, he would be a free agent. So, I mean, I think it's it's a given that he'll, even Torino aren't going to pass up an opportunity like this. But I think they will renew his contract and um, he will be at the, the club next season. But yeah, it, it's probably a, a caveat to mention that obviously it's, it's definitely within his interest to be performing. And I think the worry would be once he's got a little bit of security, will, will he be performing at that same level? Do you think he's been a better signing of Lazic? I think if you look at if you look at the overall package in terms of the fact that obviously I know Vlasic is on loan, but we'll be paying his wages. I, I, don't, I don't fully know exactly. I don't even know if we paid a fee for for him. I think he was still on Palmer's books effectively, but I think I think it's comparable. I think I think Vlasic at the start of the season was very good, um, and has sort of tailed off and the World Cup and now sort of getting injured has, has sort of affected that. Um, so yeah, I think value for money, I think you, you've got to say that Cameron has been the better signing. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting in the next few weeks just to see. It's probably been a long time since he's had such a run in the side as well. So it might, he's the one, not concerned, but he doesn't seem, we don't seem to be able to get more than an hour from him. So whether that's just match fitness, um, but yeah, something uh, it's good to see him build build his endurance up a little bit more as well. And he's uh, one of those rare players. Actually, those who, he's one of the rare players who does actually make an impact from the bench. Like sometimes, and 
we might we might let him off this week, but obviously Radonjic did come on and make an appearance and and probably did better than he has in, in recent cameo appearances. But I feel a little bit more comfortable where if Caramo was to sort of drop back and be a substitute, that him coming on, he is going to change the game a little bit, whereas sometimes our, our attacking options are very much like you, you barely even notice that they, they'd come on. Uh, whereas you saw in Florence in the in the cup quarter final that Caramo sort of used the punt at the ball by the horns and sort of and sort of ran with it and, and tried to make an impact on the game. Um so yeah, I think it I, I think once Vlasic is, is back fit it will give Juric a decision to make. Um but I think at the moment he, he's earned his slot and and it could be Vlasic Moranchik is is the decision. Um I guess what did you ever it was a game didn't have a massive amount of incident in it, but I guess one of the the big meme after the game has been um, the tackle from Shears, which I'm not I, I probably not follow as many Torino players on Instagram as closely as you do, but it seems to be you know I've seen I've seen that a lot um, been retweeted and reposted. Um, it was very camel glick, I'd say. I'd also say it was massively risky as well because if he he was millimeters from not getting that right. Um, I, I, it was possibly one of those ones where actually it was probably I, I, obviously when Orsolini's down on goal, given the form that he's in, I just thought it was a goal. It just looked like a goal. Um, so maybe that was part of his mindset. I've got nothing to lose here, um, and just thought, well, we might as well go for it. But yeah, it's a perfectly executed tackle. It, we criticised the um, three no social media accounts for sort of maybe not not highlighting certain things, but they've definitely done the opposite here. I think I've seen it with about three or four different film soundtracks. I've seen the Jaws one. I think there might even be a Rocky one. Um, So yeah, they're definitely sort of making the most of it. It's a a great tackle, but I think in that situation, I mean, I don't know quite know what Oslini was waiting for because he's he's sort of passed Rodriguez. He's he's one-on-one with Milinkovic-Savic and it's almost like he's waiting for Scherz to come in sort of tackling but yeah it's a it's a it's a great tackle and I think it's probably worth just highlighting we've not actually missed Bremer this season which is sort of quite crazy to say uh, probably going to get discussed uh, uh, a little bit in our second part but I think Scherz has been a really really astute signing and could be somebody who I mean I really hope that we don't just sell him next season I think for him and for the for the team especially, it would be good to sort of show a little bit of continuity and showing that players who who do well aren't immediately going to get sold. There was obviously reasons why Bremer was sold at the time he was. Shares has just signed with a, a new con- a longer term contract, um, and yeah, I think it would be good to see him in a three shirt for a few more seasons before maybe we look at selling him on to a Champions League level club because. The weird thing is, given Ajax's struggles, I thought about this in the game. I think the commentator might have even mentioned it. Like Ajax have really struggled this season, and you sort of wonder what they were thinking in getting getting rid of shares. I know they signed Calvin Bassey from Rangers, and I don't think that's worked out very well. Um, so yeah, it makes you wonder. I bet they're regretting that decision, and and sort of, um, I'm sure Ajax would take him back, sort of in a heartbeat right now. That's a good point. I th- I think it was a. It was a very good deal for Torino, price-wise, age-wise, profile of the player-wise. 
I don't think, unless we get a ridiculous offer, don't think we'll sell him in the summer. And also, it's one of those situations where you can see he's had a slightly disrupted season with injuries as well. You could see maybe next year could be captain or vice captain and just, you know, he's had one year in Serie A with maybe better, hopefully with a bit of investment around him and better players kick on next season. And then maybe he gets to that price point where um, a Champions League level club is, is will take take the risk on him and we'll double or triple our investment. Um, but another thing I'd say about Van Yatti and a little bit about the transfers is there's two players recently, I think we discussed this, that we were linked with last summer who've done pretty well um, at, their, at their new club. So one was Loriente at Sassuolo, who I think we very could very easily have signed. I think we had a yeah, bit of I think, I, think I think that was a matter of sort of maybe a million euros was the difference, but we were sort of, I think, I also think if Sassuolo hadn't have come in for him, I think he probably would have been playing for Torino. I think we were maybe reliant on the fact that nobody else would be interested and and try to get him on the cheap that way. I think he might have even went on strike at Lorient to try and try and force through a move and obviously then Sassuolo coming in and sort of a scuppered us in a way there. Yeah, I'd, I also wonder whether he was second choice to, to Vlasic, but I also wonder if he would have been a better signing. Um, and the second one is is Solomon who went to Fulham, uh, who I think don't know if we were as close to. And I think as soon as the Premier League club showed interest, he was going there. But I think the wider point is Vanyati did seem to be swimming in the right waters last summer. And um, I know he gets a lot of criticism, but I sometimes I we don't always know the workings of a club and why things are so slow and why certain deals don't go over the line. But Gen- apart from this, you know, the kind of slight obsession with players who played for Spal, um, <laughs> yes, some there's, there are encouraging signs that we're kind of looking at the right profile of player anyway. And I don't think, I don't think, well, you might correct me, but I don't think there have been too many howlers in the transfer market over the last two seasons. There's been players we've bought in and we would have liked to have signed and haven't signed, and that's a whole different story. But in terms of over the last two seasons, and again, maybe I'm just forgetting someone, but has, has there been anyone who's been a truly horrendous signing or a bad signing? I mean, we'll probably go on to one of the players who has almost rein, reinvented themselves, or two players in the, in the squad who Vanetti, I think, probably was involved in signing, and being Rodriguez and Lanetti. Obviously, if you asked, asked us sort of 12, 18 months ago, for your itches sort of. Um, had his stamp on the team, you would you would sort of categorise them as being sort of failures. But I think we'll go into Lanetti in, in more detail. But obviously Rodriguez has sort of changed role. I actually really like him at left wing back, um, and rather than being in the centre. I thought after my um, sort of passionate uh, Bongiorno abuse there last week, which again I, I do still feel bad about. Like I thought he, I thought he played really well. I think. I think actually he. You were like you were drowning kittens last week. But he does, he he does he. Does, I think he's so much better as the left centre back, um, and I think he does have a good relationship with Rodriguez, and Rodriguez being there for sort of an extra sort of a bit of help because I mean neither of them are the quickest, but sort of together they can sort of uh, sort of go help help each other out so to speak. But um, yeah, Rodriguez uh, on the left wing, I think actually or left wing back is actually sort of worked out. I think he adds a little bit more quality in, in terms of delivery. But yeah, going back to the question, he was a player who, who I, 
I, I can only I, I think that they would have crossed over and, and there would have been a Vanyati signing. Um and then also Carol Anetti, these are players who were bought by Gianpaolo. Um and you would have expected Lanetti, especially at the start of the season, to have been a player who, especially once Gianpaolo got the Sampdoria job, would be going. Um he's reinvented himself and I think this was his finest Torino performance. I think we both had him down as being man of the match. Uh, he's had sort of games where he, he's played well before, scoring the goal against Roma. Um, but then he sort of gone off the ball boil, and I think Juric almost challenged him in a press conference a few weeks ago to sort of sort of take the opportunity that you've got once once we've made the signing of Ilic and Richie. That is always going to be the first choice front two if they're uh, uh, first choice midfield two when they're available. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought Lanetti was outstanding, not just with the sort of closing down in the ninety fourth minute, which was um yeah, maybe maybe a little bit more noticeable to if, if somebody had a had a poor game, that's probably something you would do to try and get a sort of almost like in, in a boxing uh, in a boxing match where in the last ten seconds or around you uh, sort of make an effort when you've not really done anything in the previous two minutes. But yeah, I think I think his 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 whole game was very good and it's I'm I'm glad that somebody who does more unfashionable things in this team is is sort of getting the plaudits for it. There's a few things to unpick and unpick there. I think Rodriguez and Linetti would have been really Gianpaolo signings. Um I think you're right. They Rodriguez does is working quite well as the left wing back providing if you let him just stay in the final third almost <laughs> and he doesn't have to get up and down because he has more quality in in delivery um, and even sometimes taking a ball past an opponent and finding that space. And I think if you have, what I like about Bongiorno behind is you have that understanding, but I think the reason Bongiorno is in the team is he does break forward very well from the back and creates overloads, which Rodriguez doesn't do when he plays as a left wing back. Uh, he's very immobile as we know, and is used more as a kind of deep line register for his, for his long passing. So yeah, it'll be, Given up, I mean, Ines, we've got three available. Well, are we counting Brian Baye? But um, who is incidentally seems to be spending a lot of this week buying Torino shirts for friends and family after criticism last. Well, not not not, not because we criticised him, obviously. But I'm not was... sure. I, I I think uh, I don't think he has to buy them. I think as a as a player, he probably gets some sort of this deep, Torino reasonable, reasonable discount. You think they're getting discounts? In the I reckon they're. I know, because they could just easily be the match-prepared shirts that he's not had to wear this season when he's been on the bench. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, I think that's 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 Bologna for us. Um, do you want to talk? Uh, we'll go. We'll talk about Lecce in the first half this week because the second half we're we're going to use the time to to um, yeah get lots of abuse for choosing the ten best Torah players of the twenty first century. Um, but yeah, Lecce. Uh... Yeah, so I've got I've got a little bit of a question because obviously we've beaten Lecce uh, already this season uh, back in September, um, but obviously our last trip uh, down south down to Puglia, uh, I was at the game and probably the lowest one of the low points of being a Torino fan as we lost four nil. Um, it won. I think that end that yeah it turned out to be Matsari's last game. So it was the week before we'd lost seven nil at home to. Atalanta. Then we sort of fought back a little bit in the cup uh, against Milan and 
probably unlucky to lose that one. Um, and yeah, then travelled down to Lecce, lost 4-0. Uh, so my question for you, Peter, is how many Torino players who started that game are still at the club? Uh, very good question. Um, appreciate silence is not good on a podcast, so I'll try try and talk. I can't think of... Yeah, I, I very easily lose track between seasons, so... Yeah, this is just that, I mean, that team, that team 20, was very... Yeah, 2020. That team was very Rincon, Itzo, Sirigu, Bazelli, Belotti, these kind of guys. Um, I'm just trying to think of the team that started against Bologna. I don't think any of the Bongiorno could have been a squad player. Uh, was Vanya reserve keeper? Uh, well, so this is was, only who started was, anyway. So okay, but so yeah. who who started? Um, I can't remember if it was one of Olerina's uh, seasons at Torino, but he we didn't start against Bologna. Um, he's, he's still at the club, so I know we count. I know would count. So, uh, so oh, so from who started against Lecce? So I've got to say Olerina. Um. Well, I looked at this the other day. Olerina is uh, of the players in the current squad has the most appearances for Torino, and it's only ninety odd. So technically, he could be club captain. Um, I, I feel that's going to be a very uh, lonely campaign, there, Peter. <laughs> not not launching. <laughs> I, I I think Olerina. I can't. I can't so think of there time. is a second. Uh, I'll go through the squad and then you can sort of, or the starting level, and you can sort of, you can kick yourself when you get to it. You'll get to it quite early. So, Shirugu in goal, Kofi Gigi. Gigi. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, Kofi Gigi. Oh, so he had the Cotona uh, year, didn't he? he Nick, the Nicholas and Kulu, Bremer, and then Aina, Mate, Rincon, Di Silvestri, Verdi, Berenguer, Velotti. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that... I mean, I don't think we're too upset that. That some of those players aren't still there on the bench. <laughs> Weirdly, um, Adopo was on the bench. <laughs> oh, that's um, strange. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's obviously made it comfortable. Uh, Edera, Lianco, Milico, Rosati, Singo, and Ushkani. Uh, uh, and that was a very small bench actually. If you think that's only seven players, uh, it was Lecce had sort of almost double as many. Um, so yeah, it just uh, just a snapshot that. In a way, I don't think the the scars of that four 0 defeat. Bear in mind that it was also over three years ago. We're going to be in this in this squad. I will not be able to forget it as easily. Um, yeah, as I said, one of the the worst. Probably the only thing that could compare to it is this the Spezia game. That would be the only other comparable um, sort of terrible feeling that I had, which I think was the following year. Um, yeah, they, they were probably the only two times since obviously Torino have got promoted. Uh, in the Serie A that I thought we were going to get relegated and yeah that season was very strange that it started so well in Europe and then we just sort of capitulated funnily enough I think as we mentioned after a scrappy 1-0 win after Bologna but that isn't going to happen this time um, well Lecce is it's not a happy hunting ground because have, you... have you got some stats so we played there in Serie A, we've, uh, we've only played there in Serie Weirdly, we've only played there once in Serie B, which I always think whenever we're in Serie B, we'd play Lecce a lot, but seemingly not. But we played there nine times in Serie A. We've won one, uh, which is back in 1994. Drawn five, lost four. So the four defeats were 
Rob Gilman going and we lose four nil and Matsari gets the sack, I think, at the airport. Um, oh, yeah, I'd I'd not returned home and he'd already been sacked. Nineteen our second visit, nineteen eighty nine, lost three one, relegated to Serie B for the second time. May two thousand, lost two one, relegated to Serie B for the fourth time. We think we've been relegated five times, twice at Lecce. So yeah, we owe Lecce one. Uh it's a it's a bit feels a bit like our Empoli record, but with a lot more lot deeper cuts. Um uh, just to, just to just to say at the time, nothing against the the people of Lecce, and I would actually recommend as a city, um, one of yeah, one of, if you're ever in the area, I would I would recommend going to Lecce because yeah, very nice city, um, not so much great for the footballing, uh, sort of, for from a Torino perspective anyway, as as Peter is uh, highlighted. Well, they've they've had like a bit of a season of two halves. They've only won one of their first twelve. And then of the next 13, they've only lost four. So they kind of they found their feet um, just before the World Cup. And they've had some pretty... They've beaten Atalanta home and away. Although beaten, they've lost... They've lost the show at home as well. Beaten, but although they've lost the Salernitana and Sassuolo at home this year as well. So a little bit erratic suggests that they might like playing a bit more against teams that come at them a bit more, which is the impression I got when they came to Turin as well. Um, they got this like protein shake of a centre half, haven't they? I was, yeah. I was just about to, I just about to mention uh, Bacherotto. Yeah. Um, he's back. He he was suspended against Inter, so he should start against um, Torino. But yeah, yeah. He, I mean, they got I, the, un, they got the unlikely to... lads. They got Umtiti and, uh, <laughs> and Bacherotto at centre back. I don't um, really know how to describe. Like, if, if people who haven't seen him. Uh, before it almost like I, I don't know a a, a muscle um like a, a Hercules type figure. Like, a gy- I mean, why is he, a gym? He's got a gym body, hasn't he? You put it. Yeah, that way. he he yeah. is like you wouldn't say we would not say anything disrespectful to his face. Let's just say that if he has a terrible game, I'm not I'm not saying anything. He's very podcast. he's got a very Patrick Bateman esque face as well. If I, you want to see an American I mean, I'm going to make a call. I'm going to make a call. I think I could see Torino signing him. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, well, the player in their squad who most liked Sonny Strafetza, who was with Vanietti at Spal, and, and the Whirlings, to... the Whirlings that yeah, yeah. We, Whirlings that we're going to try and sign him. So they've got, yeah, they've got uh, Falcone and Goal, who have thought someone we could have taken a look at when we were, well, when we we're thinking about signing maybe a more stable goalkeeper. He's had a pretty good season. Uh, yeah, the unlikely lads at centre back, um, and then. Yeah, the forward line, there's no one who's scared. I think Marlo is the one who played for Venezia and is either one on loan from Fiorentina. Um, and then Di Francesco, who's always been around the kind of lower half of Serie A. Cisse will probably play up front. And then they've got the, is it the, uh, is he from Finland or Iceland? Um, um, the captain. Schulmund. Schulmund, yeah. Who's... Denmark, Denmark, I think. He was linked to Southampton okay. in the... Um... In the summer, and is sort of quite a highly rated player. And I think one of the things about Lecce is if you actually compare them as a newly promoted team to Cremonese, where I think Cremonese sort of almost took a, a random approach of, of uh, approach at scouting, have just sort of got these sort of journeymen from all over Europe. Lecce have done a similar thing, but uh, I think probably a little bit more sort of thought has gone into it. And actually, you can see the way that they're, I know Lecce did go up as champions, so you would sort of automatically expect them to be have a better season but some of their scouting 
has really worked in some of the players that you've they've signed from sort of unfashionable leagues. I think I think Banda came from um yeah, came from Israeli football. So they've definitely sort of not gone to the sort of normal places nor like usually you sort of feeder leagues for for a lower league Italian side would be sort of Austria and and Belgium whereas I think they've gone a little bit further afield. Um so, and well, I thought not, they played. I uh, thought they played. I thought they played quite well against us back in September. I think we were quite lucky to to win. I thought they were, especially before we got the breakthrough. Um, I thought they they looked quite dangerous on the counter attack. So I think at home, I think this is going to be a, a difficult game. Um, and yeah, given my uh, deficit in the uh, predictions league, it's it's not one that I'm going to be able to predict too easily or confidently. All right. Well. Yeah, running out a bit of time in this half. So I'll just go predictions and Torino's tight lineup has been unchanged. Derby, Bologna, do you see where do you see changes? It's the lunchtime kickoff as well on Sunday. We should reiterate. Um, I want to let you choose your prediction first because I'm. I'm, is, I'm it, is this our first um, weekend match, so Saturday, Sunday, since trying to work this out it would have been before since I went uh, Udinese when wow. I went yeah yeah since so I... that is that is a very long time and it just well Torino can always can often make or break a weekend depending on that result so yeah fingers crossed the rest of our Sundays um, sort of go off quite well and they don't this doesn't ruin it I'm going to go for I'm going to go for a draw I, I like I'd I'd love us to win. I think it would be really a statement victory, especially in trying to get to that top eight. And I do think there was a worry after that derby defeat that our season would sort of come to an end. But the way that the players celebrated means I think they are quite focused on trying to finish as high as possible. Um, I can't remember how many points we got last year, but that's a, a target to try and beat because you would think, given the players we lost, this we are you would think we were a weaker side. Um, but yeah, I'll go for a one-one draw. Right, my instinctive prediction was I was going to predict a really chaotic three-three, and I know it's, I shouldn't be doing wild predictions. I should just be like shielding you because um, I'm just be mirroring me, really. But, but yeah, but we we drew three-three there a couple of like well, oh, in one of our recent trips there. So feel I don't see that happening. I'm going to go Lecce two, Torino four. That's gonna go. It's gonna be a mad, drunken game on this. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna be positive. Um, and we're gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say, when's the first game we're gonna score more than two goals this season? Well, it's gonna be it. It's gonna be, yeah, it might be two two, and then we'll, we'll we'll hit them late on with the sheer quality we have on the bench. Um, but anyway, enough of that, and see you shortly for the best. Um, did you it, enjoy it? it makes, I did. Yeah. Loved it over there. What did you learn about from football, the differences? And... Um, I learned that if, if I was, it's not a criticism, but I felt that they are really they had a lot of strategy for nil-nil. Loads of strategy for nil-nil. Atalanta for keepers. Well, I don't mean for the game to finish yeah. nil-nil. Yeah. I meant as soon as someone scored, the planning kind of went out the window and yeah. then the game really started to flow. Um, but as a lifestyle... Absolutely loved it. The club I went to, um, yeah. you know, I fell really in love nice. with. Really, really enjoyed yeah. being a part of them, and yeah, okay. it was a good year. Bringing us into part two with the words of the great Charles Joseph John Hart of Shrewsbury. Um, so yeah, Joe Hart is is not made the cut for the top ten 
Toro plays the 21st century. Uh, maybe we'll do a cult one in the future, would do, but um, he did get some nominations, so hence hence bringing Joe in, uh, any excuses is a good one. So, yeah, we just we put this out there on Twitter this week, so some of you will be familiar with it. We're going to do a short list and order them of the top 10 Toro players of 21st century. Rob and I drew up a short list, I'd say maximum 15 to 20 players, which we whittled down, and then there were some we couldn't. We couldn't really make a call on. We thought it, yeah, fair to share canvas opinion from from some of the listeners and people on Twitter. So we've got down to ten. Uh, we'll reveal them shortly, but we'll just a quick word for some of the ones who who didn't make it. And there has been a bit of a scandal. Um, if someone can feel, um, yeah, a little bit hard done by. Um, so not making it. Uh, so we did a poll yesterday. Uh, we had eight, and we asked we asked um, for the final two. Basically, gave the listeners the decision. Um, so it's Fabio Quagliarella, Salvatore Sirigu, Iago Falke, and Rolando Bianchi. And Rolando Bianchi was the winner of that poll, so he makes it into uh, the top ten. And Iago Falke did beat Salvatore Sirigu by one vote, but. As one of those votes was by me, and I went for Yago Falke, and having slept on it, I decided that Sirugu was probably um, more worth a place in the top 10. Yago, I am very sorry, my friend. Maybe when Rob does the graphic for the top 10, we can we can put Yago in there somewhere. What's that, as, um, 11th? as 11th. But yeah, Yago Falco was sorry. And then there's a few, yeah, a few other honourable mentions of players who were in the shortlist. So Adam Leitch didn't make it. Uh, Nicholas Nkulu, we had from, from Dan Culture, we had a little bit of a debate on that one. I think we all agreed why Nkulu, as elegant as he was for a few seasons, didn't make it. Um, Alessandro Rosina was there as a bit, this list is quite biased towards Giampiero of, Ventura onwards, I'd yeah, say. A bit of, a bit of recency it, bias, I'd say. In it's the, a recent, but the, the, early, the other caveat is the early part of the 2000s had players who overlap the last century. So you had Marco Ferrante, who would have made this list had he done all his work in the 21st century. But if you look at the stats for the seasons he played since 2000, probably didn't merit his inclusion. Antonino Asta was, I'd say, pretty unlucky. Um, but because he was just a bit of a shining light in dark years. And then it was, I think it's quite hard for players who played exclusively in Serie B to make the list, even though we had some heroes in that promotion season. But again, it's not a cult list. It's not about favourites. It's not necessarily about how they ended their time at Torino. It is about what they did on the pitch and just looking at the quality of the player. So, yeah, those those are some of the ones who, who didn't make it. And then what Rob and I have done is we've, Drawn our top 10, there's uh, some differences in our top 10s. Um, there's some players I wouldn't have had in this top 10 and probably Rob wouldn't have had in this top 10. So there's, there's those as well. Uh, so we'll go down from 10 to 1 and where we don't agree, uh, we'll have to find a compromise. So in 10th place, Rob, who have you got? Well, 10th well, and 9th are the ones where we've got the same two players but in different orders. So my 10th is Salvatore de Sirigu. Okay, my 10th is your 9th, which is... Roland White, Rolando Bianchi. Um, so I'll start first. Um, we've done. You've done Rolando Bianchi as a hero, so we've kind of discussed his Torino career in detail. Um, 
I, I think I got a blind spot for Orlando Bianchi because like we we put it out there and a lot of people wanted Orlando Bianchi and a lot of people wanted him quite high. Don't see it myself as best footballer. Don't think he's one of the best ten footballers Torino have had this century. I don't. I we wouldn't be in my top twenty. It's like I'm getting a bit Alessandro Bongiorno on you. Um, and it's a, the, the difference is I no the difference between the Bongiorno things. I really like Bongiorno. I just think I just wish he was better. I I, I like Rolando Bianchi. I like I have nothing against him. He is always conducted himself very well. He was a good captain for me. He was a bit like a he was a lighthouse for those Serie B years on a very on a kind of derelict, destroyed, battered island that we were. But I think whenever we, when we started to rebuild, I, I don't know, he was a, he was a real totem uh, in the bad years. And without Rolando Bianchi, who knows where we would have been, we've got to say that. And it's also, it's not his fault that he was in some, he spent his Torino career in some of the shittiest years. So yes, he, he, he would have done a lot better had we been playing in Serie A. If I look at the two Serie A seasons, the first one we got relegated. Um, the second one, he actually scored more goals when we came up than we did in the promotion season. And I think there's a tendency to think of him being discarded by Ventura, but he played almost every game, both seasons under Ventura. Um, it, the, just, to, just to pick up on that, the controversial point and probably why I think Bianchi even to this day isn't massively fond of Ventura is that his last game was the home game at Catania and he kept him on the bench um, so I think there was always a bit there was always something to do that that relationship was never particularly a happy one I, I, I didn't feel and I think yeah I, I as, as you know I'm a big fan of Bianchi I think originally when we did this list I actually had him quite higher uh, quite a bit higher but I, I was thinking about it I do sort of somewhat agree with some of your points a lot of his goals were in Serie B when we got promoted to uh, Serie A He's got. He never really got the feeling that he was crucial to that. Um, if we have had a different player, I still think we would have gone up. Um, but I think some of his contributions, especially in the the season we got to the player final, where Bianchi almost single handedly dragged us to that final, do need to be sort of considered and appreciated a little bit more. Um, but yeah, if we're talking about the best players, even though Bianchi's sort of scored so many goals for the club, yeah, you you've got to sort of weigh that up as to like how much was it done at the how much of it was done at the top level, and and Bianchi never really properly performed for us in in Serie No, but on the other hand, I think we've got to recognise that the Torino in the twenty first century has played has not always been good. Um, has played a lot of Serie B and maybe there needs to be an element of that in this list and he's kind of the flag bearer for those years. I can, and second most goals this century, in fact, only Bellotti and Bianchi scored over 40 goals. So, yeah, I just think, I as a footballers, I would have had Qualiarella, Lajic and Falke in the list above him if I was looking at the quality of the player. Um, but, yeah, except the fact that recognizing what it's done and just bending the criteria a little bit for me it'd make it in the other thing i'd say about this list is if you did this poll for every decade in toro's history and this is over a few decades this is over what 23 years if you like certainly the 90s 80s 70s 
sixties and forties, you're going to get a much higher quality of player. Thirties and fifties, yeah, fifties were a particular period, and thirties yeah, is uh, stretching our, our knowledge a little bit. Um, so it does reflect that two things: Torino haven't produced a world class player in the last twenty three years, and we've not had a world class player pass through Torino. Uh, we've had a lot of very good players. Um, maybe the height of their career, kind of Champions League level, certainly kind of top four four level. But yeah, we've not had... I don't think we've got... There's a great player on this list, put it that way. There's some great Torino players. I think, players I think there's a, and I think there might be one player who's probably got potential to be a great player, but the rest of them are sort of either finished their careers or at the end of their careers. Um, so I think I may have potentially convinced you to put Bianchi ninth or... Would you rather? Oh, we we'll talk a bit about uh, Salvatore Sirigu because yeah, he was on the shortlist and made this late run. There's obviously a big Sirigu campaign came in, and I was convinced. Yeah, didn't have a goalkeeper on there. Um, I think I remember he also did he beat the record of clean sheets of um, uh, of um, uh, what well, I think it was dating back to the seventies, wasn't it? There was I got a, a memory of. There was in one of those Mazzari seasons where uh, he kept a long, a kind of long run of clean sheets, and I just think with Sirigu, just again, sometimes we've got to take ourselves back to when they were um, playing really well, rather than how it finished. I think Sirigu were just a bit scarred by the last eighteen months, but um, you know, it was Luciano Castellini's record from from the seventies. But and I think I think when Sirigu was good, he was. Very good and the best goalkeeper, hands down, we've had since since Marco Gianni at least. Um, and I think and... there was probably an argument as well. Sorry to to cut in, but I think there was an argument that in one of his in one of his really good seasons, he was probably the best goalkeeper in in Serie A as well. Um, and I think there there was he there was talk that he could have been Italy number one uh, over Donnarumma. So I think when I think yeah, like you said, we maybe scarred by how it ended and how his career has sort of deteriorated after leaving Torino as well, which again, isn't really a factor for this list. So we sort of need to park it a little bit. Um, but yeah, at his peak, when he was at Torino, he like, especially once he first signed in the sort of season, two seasons afterwards, he he was a very good, very good goalkeeper. And we sort of jokingly mentioned Joe Hart at the start, but so if, if you if you compare the two contributions, it's it's incomparable, really. Well, the two defenses playing in front of them as well, that's but, a, but yeah, a very good point. But Sirigu, yeah, I'll, go, I'll let you choose this because I may as well I'll, I'll save my battles for later on. And really, Bianchi or Sirigu, who's higher, I'm not that think, bothered by. So you sticking have, with? Let's have Sirigu ten. Um, just just in, let's let the people decide. They were both on the. Paul and um, Bianchi won it so let's go for Bianchi ninth. You've, so you've always been a man of the people Rob very sensible um, okay so 9 and 10 decided number 8 uh, were quite different in name but not in role so mine is Christian no yours is Christian Daniel Ansaldi um, of uh, yeah um, I'll say something else then but I'll save it and then mine is Matteo Darmian um so yeah the the two fullbacks on this list basically i would say why i've got ansaldi hide and damian i've got ansaldi six um damian 
there's a lot of good things about Derby. I know he's never played with a hero on, so let's not dwell on it. Winning goal uh, in Bilbao and in the Derby. Uh, could play right back, left back, even centre back. Model professional, rarely had a bad game. Um, influential in the promotion, well, key player in the promotion season. And we bought him on the cheap, sold him for a profit. Um, and unlike some of the others in this, hasn't yet played for Juventus, and I don't think will now. Um, the reason I have Christian Daniel and Saudi higher is um, I think Christian Ansari is one of the few players who cross the ball this century, and uh, injuries were a massive factor in him, and he did come to us later on in his career. I think it's just a far more talismat- talismatic player um, um, and a lot more... Yeah, exciting to watch and influential. And even if he only had one or two tricks, um, they always work very well. Uh, whereas Damian was technically, Ansaldi is a better player than Damian. I don't think anyone can argue that. Um, and then, yeah, it's Dar- but Damian on this list. I don't think there's many people who have better moments in the Torino shirt this century. So it's a hard one. Um, no, but I'll think- let you. What you've yeah, got? Think- I'll just. I'll, I'll let you, you've got Damian. You've actually got Damian fifth, fifth yeah, best player of the century. So. Yeah, maybe maybe got Damian too high. Maybe we'll um, we'll have to have some sort of compromise on this one. But I I, I think yeah, you've actually made a, a good point there. Actually, if you were going at their peak, if you were going to, and unfortunately, I think we probably had Damian probably at his peak, whereas we had Ansaldi a little bit after it. And I know again, this list is for their contribution for Torino, and shouldn't really be thinking of that about what they did at the clubs, but. Yeah, if you compare them to, on a technical level as to who's the best player, like say Damian could play on the left, but was still very much a right-footed fullback playing on the left. Whereas Anselmi to this day, I don't think anybody knows which is his strongest foot. Um, he could cross in with the left and right with equal quality, and that was sometimes what would be that was sort of his trick. He he would he would fake with with one and then cross in with the other. And yeah, it's a shame that injuries did sort of. Uh, end his end his career at Torino maybe a little bit prematurely because I think he's still obviously playing in Serie B for Parma and I think without the sort of number of injuries he's had in his career he he, he looks like one of those players who's who's looked after themselves really well and you 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 could see playing until sort of like even at the top level at a, until a, a longer age. Um. So yeah, I think I think maybe I've allowed myself to be tricked with the. Um, with Damian, like you say, with the moments that he's had in a Torino shirt, I think it has pure moments of this top 10. He probably has one and two scoring the equaliser in the derby and then, and then the winner in Bilbao. Um, so whether do we... I'm happy to bring in Saudi up the list and maybe above Damian. Do we have Damian as eight or do we Suggest well, this our, is another thing. Seven. We've both we, got the, we we both seven, got, yeah, to be to become number eight. Yeah, we've both got the next person's number seven, so it might just be bearers, it might just be a bit of adjustment, and we can sort out these three players in one. So at seven, we both have Alessio Cerchi, who again, um, we're yeah, we got two seasons out of him, didn't we? Um, what well, I'd say, Cerchi. Played the best football of his career, hands down, at Torino. His career 
nosedive completely after he left. I mean, he was just Ventura was pretty much the only coach ever to get a tune out of him. Uh, but I think we have to remember how good he was in those two seasons. So the first season especially, was especially especially the second season. I think the first season where we sort of stayed up from we'd just been promoted. He, grew, he was sort of our marquee signing. He grew into that season, didn't he? He didn't start off brilliantly. Um but some decisive contributions. In that second season when we signed Giro Immobile, Churchy started up his goal scoring for the first eight or nine games was amazing. And then Immobile hadn't scored and then as soon as Immobile started scoring he just became the provider. Um but and if, we, if we go back, if we go back to moments as well, obviously we've mentioned maybe Damian having the, the number one and two. I think Churchy's winner against Genoa is probably the third best la- moment on this list. His last, his last uh, Torino goal actually, and probably the only Torino player. <laughs> it says a lot about his career to have, to have a Torino moment tattooed on his body. So that um, we know, of, that we know of, that we know of. Yeah. So Churchy. Um, yeah, and it was this kind of a whole Jamelli de goal thing with Churchy and Immobile during that season as well. Just we haven't had that's the best strike partnership I believe we've had. Um, just and two the, players hit, hit in the form of their careers at the time, anyway. And that season um, ended. That's in season ended. That was the 2013-14 season. Immobile and Churchy both ended up going to the World Cup. And yeah. Obviously, that didn't end particularly well. But to have players who they were so good that season and obviously we'll get onto Immobile later but that they were recognised sort of internationally as well in the World Cup year um, Churchy at the start of that campaign would have been a big big outsider to have been even considered for that squad I think he even got yeah, I think he even got minutes in the tournament as well um, so yeah I think I may have I may have talked talk myself back out of uh, moving Churchy, I think maybe we keep Churchy at seven and have Damian. Um, yeah, again, technically as a player, uh, Churchy was erratic. He was a bit, he had a slight Iron Robin thing about him as well in that you knew what he was going to do, but he was so good at doing it during that period because he had confidence Um and he he'd, he'd almost three. he'd almost changed position as well. He'd, he'd been he'd come through the ranks at Roma as a, as a just old fashioned winger, and he sort of became a sort of you'd say number ten, but probably wasn't a, like your traditional creative number ten. He was almost like a support striker where he played a bit deeper, but obviously you could still he was yeah was supporting Immobile in terms of goals as well. But you knew that he could pop up with a goal himself. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a shame, obviously. I think Churchy's probably a bit of a divisive figure among Torino fans for comments that he never even made himself. I think it's his partner at the time. Um, well, he's come back to Torino matches wearing Torino shirts, Churchy. So he was just, it was a, he regretted it almost. I pretty, I imagine the first training session that Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid, he regretted going there. Yeah, I mean, apart this from, is, this is, yeah, apart this from isn't what Ventura, was going in his bank account. So. This isn't Ventura time anymore. And yeah, I think that's, it is a shame of how it ended. Obviously, again, I was there in, in Florence when he missed the penalty, which turned out to not actually have been, a, uh, been an issue. But it was a, he probably sums up that that period um, very well, just how quickly actually, I mean, if you even think about it, we, we went from being a side who were promoted from Serie B 
had one season of consolidation and then the next season we qualified for Europe. Like that that is a very impressive um that would be like again to compare with the first part, that would be like Lecce qualifying for the Europa League next season. Uh probably budgets are a little bit different, but it is it was very impressive and I think Churchy is a good sort of talisman for that for that. But time. here's here's what we can do. I although I, I flew the flag for Ansaldi, I'm happy for him to be eighth. And Churchy, we both put at seven, so let's keep it seven. And let's move Darmian down from your fifth to six. Yeah. Just because Darmian did, like, winning a derby has been so difficult. Uh, we haven't had many seasons in Europe. And yes, Churchy and, and Sally for me are technically better footballers than Darmian, but it's the best. The best is also um, has to be based on contributions, doesn't it? So, um, so eight Fansaldi. And seventh Churchy. I, I can see. I, I can see why Peter's doing this because my number five is a lot higher on Peter's list that he's trying to get. Well, him. it's your number six. Get, yeah, my number, number six. six. Yeah, so, yeah. My number. My number. My number six. So he's already been bumped up one place. Yeah, uh, it's a lot higher in in Peter's list. So I think this is probably the next time to uh, debate our good friend Camille Glick. Yeah. So, but people might be surprised. So you had Camille Glick six. Yeah, I've got uh, and, Camel and I love and I love Camel Glick, but I think having Glick at two is maybe a little bit too high. Well, uh, let me explain. So we have, um, yeah. So we, we're basically doing the top five now. So I don't think we're going to be ruining it for anyone to say the five players left are two strikers, Balotti and Immobile, and three central defenders, Bremer, Moretti, and Camel Glick. So you've got Bremer second. Um, uh, I'll argue it's Bremer. Bremer, I think there's a bit of recency bias. He was brilliant in that last season, but yeah, team finished 10th. Um, and he was just, he was a kind of player we took, we developed, we polished, we sold. But do you not uh, give any, any credit to the fact that he won the award as the best? Did, did, says, did, Camu, that, did that, Camu Glick that, win that award? I don't know if I had that award at the time. That's the I thing. Don't do that. Uh, I don't think they did either. And, and I think Serie A was possibly a bit. Yeah, I, it was Bra- a better. Bremer did, no, Bremer did really well. And he went to the World Cup with Brazil. But um, let's we. I think we talk about Bremer, Moretti, and Glick here as a package, and then we can sort them out between us. Um, so th- that's my argument for my Bremer. My argument for Moretti was uh, less spectacular. In some ways, and the other two less showy, probably scored fewer goals. Um, harming influence, rarely had a bad game, used the ball well. Very old school Italian defender. Um, and then had the epic, he had a moment as well. He had scored that winner in the San Siro 1 0 94th minute, so he had his moment. Glick, yeah, technically was, yeah, I guess th- there's a best element coming into it technically um not always the most polished but uh, he played a lot of games for us was captain for us captain in um most successful season of the century and had a season where i think someone said it on twitter as well every time we pinged the corner in the box he scored um and scored a lot of big goals um, I also like the fact that he would go to international tournaments and be a bit of a kind of uh, he, was, he was a Torino player on a kind of 
European stage as well. Um, he was almost kind of our, for a short period anyway, almost a kind of emblematic player. Um, so if I was sorting through, I Camel Glick for me was a better Torino player than um, Bremer. And Moretti is just a slightly different case, Moretti. I just I think maybe just to crystallise it down to contributions, um, Glick had a few more. And maybe I have put him too high, but we've been left with two strikers and just, three central defenders. And it's, yeah. You, just to, just to play one way or another. Just to play devil's advocate a little bit, do you think part of the the Glick, bear in mind what we discussed last week in terms of how the, the culture of the derby's changed and, and Glick was very emblematic of being sort of us v them, obviously got sent off twice in derbies. Is that a factor in the fact that it's not purely his sort of on-field ability that's considered, it's also just that no-nonsense approach where he's actually Torino in the derby with Glick in it like there was n- there was none of this Samuele Ritchie helping up Chiesa. It was, it was very much a uh, us v them scenario. And again, that's not to say that he shouldn't be included, but I think just is that more of an aura thing, which is not based on his ability as a footballer. Yeah, it was. He was. I get that you didn't get. Um, but I, I don't think that's why personally I picked him. I think we. were just looking at those three central defenders, I'd have Glick, Moretti, then Bremer in that order. And the thing with Glick, sorry, and if, contra- you know, if you were having a, an all-time, obviously, yeah, I was going to say it's a very stupid question, but this is a list that we've created. But yeah, that would be your if we were playing a back three, and that'd be your Torino team of the sort of of the twenty-first century. That would be your back three. Yeah, how well it would. Yeah, you might look at it and actually think, oh, I need a more mobile player. Wait, that's a Bremer. Yeah, that's a Bremer on the right. I think you'd have Glick in the centre and obviously Moretti on the left. So I think it would work, even though Bremer did a lot of his best work for Torino in the centre and also on the left. I think he he played as a right centre back very often at all. Um, The other thing with Glick, and I know it's contributions to Torino, he did go to Monaco and win a league uh, the season after, which. and did well in Champions League. He's not a player who he went he went to a high and, level and, and did well. And, and it was at the it's just been at a World Cup as well. So and I remember I, I remember at the time as well being almost disappointed that he only went to Monaco, which that looks quite stupid. I think the following season, I think they got to the semi-finals of the Champions League. That was Mbappe's sort of breakout year. Um, so I think it's and you yeah you're actually. Obviously, I think he's still playing for Benevento in Serie B now. He uh, possibly uh, didn't didn't Torino fans didn't he take too kindly to him a couple of seasons ago, celebrating the goal, which was then disallowed. Um, but he he did explain that again and again. This isn't we we need to try and sort of forget that part of of how Torino players left and their relationship. But I think it, yeah he. I actually thought he played quite well in the World Cup as well. I was surprised that he was still a starting uh, centre-back for Poland, but I thought he did very well. Um, maybe it is that recency thing that I've actually forgotten a little bit of how good a player Glick was. And it wasn't just the... Um, yeah, technically, I don't think you could compare him with Bremer. On a physical level, Bremer has occasionally had issues with your sort of taller beanpole strikers. I mean, and that wouldn't have been an issue for Glick. He would have relished the physical... Um, the physical battle. So yeah, I think I'm I'm ready to be convinced into putting um Glick ahead of Bremer, but I'm just not sure either of them are number two. Well you we both had Moretti at three. 
So, so says Moretti we... stay in three, or does Moretti move to two? I, I I wouldn't be against moving Moretti to two, um, which is a weird one because I don't think out of the three players you would say you wouldn't. If you were going to say who's the best player, well, I mean, this is where I think the fact that obviously Glick's career is coming to an end, Moretti's um, career has ended, and Bremer is obviously still still to go. I think actually, if you look at their their commitment and their how they played for Torino, Moretti is the only consistent in the fact that. He was part of both of the teams who qualified for the Europa League. He well, was, he played with Glick, he played with Bremer, so he is the sort of continuity. So I think that is enough for him to be to be second. Yeah, the, what you you rated Moretti better than Glick, and I rated Moretti better than, than Bremer. So Moretti, yeah, this is why I have a debate. Um, so Moretti is second, Glick third, Bremer fourth, yeah. and I think maybe we're gonna are we. Going to put Chiro Immobile into fifth, or does Chiro Immobile deserve to be higher? I I think again, it's a good time to talk about Chiro. I think he he goes to fifth because he really only had one and a half. Well, he had one and a half seasons at Torino. The one season was pretty good. Obviously, he was Capitaneri. Um But again, I think a lot of that was probably also down to Chirchi as well. So I think. I don't think there should be that big of a gap between the two. Though. I think you've got to, I think actually having Churchill seven and and uh, Immobile five is quite a fair comparison. Um, and between their contributions, that there's not a huge gap there because I think you've got to think of them as as a duo. Um, again, this isn't about what they've gone on to do, but I think on the if you look at the list, if you look at those ten names who left Torino and had the best career. It's a mobile without a shadow of a doubt. So that could be an argument for having them a little bit higher, but that isn't the purpose of the the list. It's about their contributions for Torino and and mobile had a very good season at Torino. But he came back on loan. Weirdly, he then sort of had to play. He he had to play the churchy role in a little bit because it was it was our our number one's turn time to shine. Yeah, I mean I'm conscious of time here. Just quickly on Chiro, the reason he's there and he's that high, I think. Very few players have had better seasons um, in the 21st century. It's only a couple Canonieri in the 21st century. Um, he, in that season, the full season he had, he went from week seven to week 38 and there were only seven matches he didn't score in. He was almost scoring every single match. He got 11 yellow cards that season as well. So, and it didn't, the season didn't end that well. And as I said, when he came out, I always wonder what would happened to Bellotti had we signed Immobile and signed them both because obviously they'd never really played together that successfully at the same time in the national team. Would it have hindered Bellotti? Um, so, yeah, I think Immobile, good in fifth place. Uh, let's talk a bit about our number one, someone we talk about each week. Um, I'll just that, say is from... my, that is my fault. And I'll be honest, I'm very surprised that you've had him as number one. Well, but I think he just says it all. My instinct was I didn't want Bellotti as number one because I thought we must, yeah, but most appearances, 251. Like Diego Diacentis was next, the only other player over 200. Most goals. Would he have made, was uh, Diacentis made the top 20? No, I used to see him for a coffee. Um, he used to be the footballer I used to see most in the centre of Turin. So a bit of a soft spot for Diego Diacentis. But no, uh, he was a bit of a Thomas Rincon of his time. Um, and then, yeah, 
Belotti scored 113 goals, Bianchi 77, and then Rosina was next to 39. Stats-wise, most appearances, most goals, possibly most symbolic player. If, I don't know, 21st century. Just um, my issue with Belotti, and sometimes you forget. It's like Syria; you forget how good they were when they were really good. He obviously had the season and the Mihailovic, where again everything he struck um, turned to gold always scored pretty much above 10 goals. My issue with Bellotti is how many seminal moments were there? Didn't have, a, like, what was Bellotti's? Just a lot of goals against Sassuolo, Cagliari, a, lo- a lot of goals, but I don't know, but what did they contribute to? And apart from, I remember two games, we beat Milan twice under Mazzari at home, once where he scored two, once where he scored and Berenger scored. And I think they were probably the, almost like the biggest victories. I feel maybe it's again not his fault, but I would thought the best Torino player of the twenty first century. You just yeah, you would it would have been nice to have had more moments. We'd say I know there were some great goals, um, I think, but I almost uh, think he's got there by longevity um, and probably yeah that some of the quality we've had hasn't didn't last too long. I think it's unfortunate that he's sort of some of his more recent seasons sort of combined with Torino's poor seasons. If you think of like the the, the consecutive seasons fighting relegation, but if I was going to say about a moment, I'd say the second of his sort of famous overhead kicks against Sassuolo, where that was a game where we were fighting to get into the Europa League. We were two one down at home to Sassuolo. He scores, and then a minute later, I think he might even provide the assist for Zaza to score. Again, it's not at the same oh, level. That's someone as... we missed. <laughs> he's he's on the uh, top two hundred list. Um, but then, like, he is. He had moments. I think you've maybe just got a little bit look a little bit further to find them. Even, even like he scored at Anfield in a preseason friendly against Liverpool. Like. That isn't, oh, you're, you're quoting it, friendlies to me now, Rob. That's, that's, that's a, there's not, I know that's that's sort of clutching at, at straws a little bit, but like for players to, he's probably the only, I'm pretty sure I'm right saying the only uh, Torino player this century, or well, at least in the last 10 years, to even score in England. He scored twice. He scored at Molyneux and at Anfield. So. So is, is there a bit of Harry Kane syndrome with Bellotti in that? He did a lot, did a lot on his own, carried the team, scored a lot of goals that could and should have contributed to more had there been a bit more quality around him. And it's a, is there a kind of, yeah, obviously not as good a player as, as Harry Kane, but similar kind of, yeah, similar kind of scenario in some ways. And I think, again, not that this is going to be, re- isn't relevant, but in terms of how it ended, that I think is a shame in, in terms of, now people's opinions are a little bit tainted by that uh, and and again uh, to use the Kane comparison I, I can see something similar happen, happening when he decides that he actually does want to win silverware before he retires and that he will move and, and look at doing something I think the thing for Bellotti has been, which he probably discovered this year, is the grass isn't always greener and I think if you asked him now honestly, would he would, if he could turn back time and go back to um, signing the contract for Torino or or moving to Roma, I, I, I'd be very surprised if he said that he was happy with the decision he made and I'm not, I would never rule out, I don't think you can ever rule out him coming back um, to Torino either, I don't think that's something that is 
it's all it's it's going to be off the table because of the contribution he's made, and players have done a lot worse and sort of come back as heroes. Um, and yeah, I can I can see that being in the future that maybe his his story has still got a couple more pages left to write. Yeah, and I think the other thing with Belotti is technically, let's say, he's not the most graceful player. Um, and, always... and look at looking back, just that you, you do forget actually, and it's, it is a shame. But you, if anybody goes back and looks at the goal he scored uh, against Udinese in a five-one win, like unrecognisable to the player who you see today, like he gets the ball from it within his own half, beats the centre, knocks the ball past the centre back, runs past them, and finishes from a difficult angle. Like it's. It's a shame, really, that obviously his body has, has sort of let him down a little bit and he breaks down with a few more injuries. But I think part of that is also down to his time at Torino where he was getting kicked off the park every week because he, if you stop Bellotti, you stop Torino. Well, let's um, let's wrap up with the list. So, 10th, Salvatore Sirigu. 9th, Rolando Bianchi. 8th, Christian Daniel Ansaldi, as I'm now going to call him. Seventh, Alessio Cerci. Six, Matteo Damian. Five, Ciro Immobile. Uh, four, Gleison Bremer. Three, Camel Glick. Two, Emiliano Moretti. One, Il Gallo Andrea Bellotti. Haters going to hate, Rob, but um, yeah. yeah, we got there. And you want to do the worst players of 21st century soon, don't you? So, God, God, that's, that's, that's going to be a lot harder to get a shortlist down to. Anyway, there's going to be so many of them, but Anyway, onwards and upwards. I uh, hope you liked it. Forza Toro. Forza Toro.